0: I was an art teacher, so I worked in performing and visual arts in the school where I worked. Um, And so, and I've also done like uh, life drawing, only I would take clay, so I would do life sculpting. And so now what I get to do is actually help people sculpt a new life. So it's the same, this is still this creative process going on, but we collaborate. So we're co-creating that positive future for the client. And it's a lovely space to work in because it's a very hopeful space and it's a very forward-looking space. So we tend not to dwell in the past, but actually look to the future. I don't know. I just love it. My daughter said to me, I think you found your calling, mum. And I'm like, I think you're right, because it it is a really positive space to work in.
1: Welcome to the Engage to Innovate podcast. Hi, I'm Judy Selmond. You know, our world evolves through innovation, and as business leaders, we have to step out of our comfort zone, which is never easy heading into totally new territory. But this podcast is all about helping you tackle that adventure. We talk to people who have done it before and those who have worked with innovators. So let's get started on our next journey of discovery. Welcome to the Engage to Innovate podcast. I'm Judy Selmans. You know, innovation isn't just about reinventing something totally new. It's often more to do with reinventing. In fact, studies show that the combination of the familiar and the new is more likely to succeed. That often means looking at skills, functions, etc., that work in one sector and bringing it into a next sector. And that's what today's guest helps others do. Elizabeth Diarcos from Larkson Enterprises specializes in helping teachers into life beyond the classroom. So welcome Elizabeth to the Engage to Innovate podcast. Thanks Judy, thanks for bringing me on the show today. Oh, that's an absolute pleasure. I have to say when I first came across your work, I couldn't help but feel really sad that clearly so many teachers are looking at leaving the profession when we desperately need them. Is,
0: is that a generalised thing? or it... <laughs> It's a worldwide thing, for sure. Uh, so I work with teachers across the globe. I have clients in the US, New Zealand, all across Australia in not every state yet, but you know, that's to come. Uh and I know it's the same in the UK. Uh, I haven't got as much connection with Europe because of the language barriers, but certainly it seems to be a global issue. It's
1: that's, that's really, really sad. Is there a particular thing that makes people want
0: to leave that? Look, I mean, I, I, I guess I'm going to dispute you about being sad. I think, okay. I think people get to the point where they just don't want to be there anymore. And rather than feeling sad, I try to actually help them to feel hopeful about the future. So they, they leave with their head held high. They leave on a good note where they've put in a resignation letter that outlines their their experiences, their skills that they've learned along the way, the benefit that they've brought to their students and to their school environment and actually make it into a really positive thing. Um, But, yes, you're right, there are a number of factors that influence people when they they decide to leave. I spoke to a a potential client this morning actually who said that she was thinking of uh, leaving just because she'd been in the game for such a long time, almost 40 years, and she didn't want to be in front of a class anymore. She was just tired. So classroom management can be a really big issue for people Um, and then often there's just the collection of data and having more and more uh, tasks imposed on the teacher day after day, week after week, year after year from above. Uh, But often they don't have the, the capacity or the time or the resources they need to implement those changes. And so there's this real disconnect between what they're being asked to do and what they're able to do in the workplace, not through any lack of skill on their part, but just because they're not given the resources they need. And so it's a recipe for stress, for frustration, yeah. for disconnect and, you know, that's often the motivation for people to want to leave.
1: I guess um, and, and many people listening today actually may not be teachers but they're trying to reinvent themselves as well. So just because you're not a teacher doesn't mean that you can't learn some of the skills I'm guessing that you te- you give to teachers that can help anyone reinventing themselves. And that, as I said in the intro, is is very much like Innovation—you've—you've you've mm. got to—you've you, got to do something that—that that, oh, really, yeah. It, this happens to many people at, at a certain stage, I think, in their career. They've been doing it for so long, and yeah, as you say, they're—they're they're over it. They, they just need something fresh and new in their their environment. And uh, but you know, to many people, leaving that comfort zone and walking into something ter- totally new—I can imagine—would be like turning most of us into like an insomniac or something, you'd you'd be losing serious amounts of sleep. So is there a secret
0: (laughs) to getting out? I think you're right. (laughs) A lot of people really are very stressed at the prospect of leaving and there's a whole lot of factors that impact on that. Probably the biggest factor, surprisingly, is the grief around leaving something that you've given your heart and soul to for such a long time. So I talk to teachers all the time who have... They've got a, a student loan debt, or they've got you know in Australia, we've got a hex debt. they've they've given years and years of their life to education and further education. They've come up come into the classroom every day showing up as this you know bright, sparkly personality and given everything of themselves to that job. and then suddenly they just realize they just don't want to get out of bed in the morning anymore. Um, you know, or there I, I spoke to a teacher a few weeks ago who was basically having a panic attack because she was about to start work for the year, two weeks, like it was just before the the end of the school holidays here in Australia. So she wasn't yeah. even back at work yet and she was already experiencing extreme anxiety about going back. So there's all these factors that contribute to that feeling of, you know, I, I want to get out and then the things that hold them back are financial especially if they're at the top of the pay scale. So if they're very experienced, they could be on in Australia, uh, say between 90 and 100, maybe 120,000, depending on if they're in a leadership role, possibly more. And then so they're kind of, I I call it the golden handcuffs. You know, they're they're stuck there because there's no way they're going to get an entry-level job at Aldi or Costco or whatever that's going to pay anything like what they're on now. And they've they've got this life, lifestyle that they've become accustomed to. What are they going to do? How are they going to get out if they they've got this lifestyle that that the, the pay that they're on needs to service that? And so often the discussion we have is actually why don't we make instead of you servicing you know your job, make the job serve you in the way that you want it to, and maybe you can take a pay cut if it's actually creating the life that you want.
1: Yeah, because there's nothing worse. Years and years ago, I remember meeting a guy and he'd been, he was actually a, um, uh, uh, oh, god, I can't think, it doesn't matter. So he was enjoying, he had a business, he'd had it for 40 years, and I said to him, because I was very young at the time, so I said to him, wow, 40 years in one job, you must love it. And he said, I hate it. Mm-hmm. I hate every single day, but I have to feed my wife and kids and I don't know what else I could do. And when I thought about it, I thought, wow, what an awful stressful position to be in knowing that you're forced to do something that you absolutely hate. So it's exactly what you're saying. And, again, it doesn't matter what industry you're in. If you don't like it, you 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 need to reinvent yourself.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's a few other professions that are similar to teaching. So I think um, ministry, like uh, church ministry, is similar. Nursing, mm-hmm. and I think paramedics, because I think all of those they've got a you're interfacing with the public. You're often in uh, traumatic situations with people, or very highly intense situations with people where they're confiding their deepest needs or their you know, most serious issues, like if you're a nurse, for instance, and then um, you're also working within an institution that may not be conducive to, um, you know, creating a, a, a sort of healthy workplace. So I think there's a lot of similarities between those three. Um, I've, al- I've also worked with people outside of education as well um, to help them transition. So I've worked with a client from the US who is a in a manufacturing industry role, but she was out on sick leave, and uh, she she just didn't know what to do next. And so we worked together to help her plan out her next step. So it's not not restricted to teaching, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. So I'm guessing because I know you've done some study in a in uh, an applied positive psychology is that an important
0: element of what you do in helping people through this stage absolutely so one of the really important things that when i start working with a client is that we go and look at their character strengths so there's a wonderful online survey um it's at www.via.org www.via, and then right. there's a, it's a free survey and you can, it takes about 20 minutes and you can actually do your uh, character strengths, uh, answer the questions for the survey and it will give you back um, a PDF file of your top strengths so that they've uh, Martin Seligman and uh, David Peterson identified 24 strengths that were considered as strengths worldwide in in multiple different cultures. And they they created this survey to help to identify people's top strengths. So we all have all these strengths, but some of them sit right near the top. So among mine are like honesty, creativity, love of learning. And I often find actually the teachers I work with have got similar strengths and often that gets them into trouble, especially the honesty one when they tell (laughs) their boss what they really think. And so (laughs) (laughs) I can relate to that. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that could be overusing that strength, right? But, yeah, so I always start off looking at people's strengths because that way we're drawing on not what's not working well but actually what could work well or how can we leverage the things that they are good at, the things that bring them into a flow state how can we use those things, those strengths, to help them think creatively and imaginatively about the life that they want to create for themselves?
1: You know, because I was actually when you you just introduced the word creativity, so that's what it was coming to my mind. Is that um, often when you understand yourself better, it actually does free you up to be more creative. And because so many people say, "Oh, I'm not a creative person," and then they often refer, of course, back to the fact that they can't. Paint us, you know, or, or sculpt something, and of course, that's really not what creativity is necessarily about. But yes, understanding your strengths and and where that fits, and then creatively applying that to a potential future about what you want to do is. And, and that sounds really cool that you can walk through through people and make them feel comfortable about that process.
0: Yes, yeah, so I was an art teacher, so I worked in performing in visual arts in the school where I worked. Okay, um, and so. And I've also done like uh, life drawing, only I would take clay, so I would do life sculpting. And so now what I get to do is actually help people sculpt a new life. So it's the same. This is still this creative process going on, but we collaborate. So we're co-creating that positive future for the client. And it's a lovely space to work in because it's a very hopeful space and it's a very forward-looking space. So we tend not to dwell in the past but actually look to the future and um, I don't know, I just love it. I, my daughter said to me, I think you found your calling, Mum, and I'm like, I think <laughs> you're right because it, it is a really positive space to work in.
1: Yeah, that's it's nothing more exciting than working with people that are going places rather than solving just the past problems. So Absolutely. yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's really cool. So I, I guess um, do you, I was going to ask you do you work with individuals or with groups
0: or both or yeah so i have i have two sort of programs that i offer um one is one on one so we do a zoom conference call um it's a secure platform and i can see the person so then i can pick up on the body language as well which is helpful uh, yep. and and then the and then i also offer a group option which is there's more than one person on that call. So when we kind of go around the room and what I find is with the group particularly, people will often resonate with something that someone else has said or they'll see, they'll see someone else's struggle in a particular area and they'll say, oh, you know, I've struggled with that too. And so there's this sense of community that's built up as well. Or, Or alternatively, they might say, oh, wow, I could help you with that or thank you for sharing that you're really inspiring and so often that becomes a real that group call becomes a place of real inspiration and sometimes even collaborations which is you know I, so I kind of facilitate that conversation and then I throw in my you know my two bobs worth as well so yeah. I'm doing coaching on that call but it's also there is some discussion as well. It's interesting you say that because we find a similar thing when
1: we when we're doing when we're gathering insights from people is that when you get them that relaxed, which is obviously what you're doing. So you're getting them engaged with the process, you're relaxing them, making them feel really comfortable with it, and then they'll start sharing those other stories and mm. and and yes, it it just stimulates others. We see it all the time in our sessions as well, where they, you know, someone will chime in and, and start having a different conversation and it's it's gone off in a different direction. So, which is really cool for, uh, in many, many different ways, it's just really helps break that ice and, and you get totally different things. I guess, um, you know, often on a one-to-one, I don't know if you find this, but if I'm talking to someone one-on-one, you, you know, they'll, they'll just go with what's top of their mind, but someone else may stimulate a memory that they'll go, oh, yeah, no, that's right, that happens and all that sort of stuff. So, um, do you prefer group training? Oh,
0: don't ask me. I, I, okay. I, I can't decide. Like <laughs> on, on, on one hand, one-on-one is great because especially if the client needs confidentiality, like yes. they don't want anyone to know they want to get out of teaching, for instance, or they've got an idea they want to work on that they don't and not ready to share with the world yet, there's yep. definitely a benefit to that, to having that one-on-one. And it's, it's obviously more intense. It's more focused. And there's no distractions. And also they, they're definitely going to be heard, you know. So what I find sometimes in the group is people will hold back because they don't want to dominate the conversation. Yeah. And so I have to sort of train them to say, no, no, it's okay. You, you should speak up if you've got something to say because we're all here to learn from each other and to gain the benefit of everyone's knowledge, you know, the collective knowledge. Um, but sometimes people feel like they shouldn't, you know, do that, or if they've had a big win, they don't want to be boastful, or you know that kind of thing, and so then it kind of it, that can hold people back. But on the other hand, it also can be really inspiring. Um, so I have a client at the moment who's working on setting up a business. She's uh, she's just started doing her website. So every we've got a group chat in. Um, I've got a, a another Facebook, a private Facebook group apart from the get out of teaching one called committed to get out of teaching and in that group they will share you know what's happening for them at the moment and so there's some lovely sharing of you know gains for the week and this is what I got done and you know I set these goals and I managed to achieve them and you know I'm really feeling proud of myself and so that is really inspiring to the others as well so you know swings and roundabouts I can't decide (laughs) (laughs) no no
1: no no that's right and you're right different things for different you know, reasons and outcomes and individuals and and what, yeah, that that all makes total sense. So I guess, um, you know, for for those that are listening, again, that aren't teachers necessarily but want some tips on how they can, you know, what, what sort of things can they do just to, even start this journey of of reinvention apart from the creative coming up with the ideas, what is there are there other things that you can suggest people do that
0: to give them the drive or the the kick to get them going? Yeah well there, there's a few things you can do. First of all extricate yourself from your workplace as much as you can in terms of um so for instance if you are a teacher often teachers have like a truckload of stuff at school that they've purchased themselves, they've got resources, they've got books, whatever. So I, it took me about three months of taking a box or a, a, <laughs> an armful home every day to empty out my classroom so that I just had what I really needed to be there because I knew I was going to get out at some point and I didn't want to have to spend two days loading the car. So I just did it in dribs and drabs. So I would also change or make sure you've got a personal email address. I think that's really important so that if yeah. you are, you know, talking to um, people outside of your, uh, outside of education or wh- whatever the industry is, that you've actually got a, an email address that is not going to, you know, show up in your work email because <laughs> that could be awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. You don't want to accidentally CC work colleagues into, into an email about getting a job somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it also is it, I think it also helps people actually create a, a kind of a it's a, a, a like a mental disconnect from work too. it's it's mm. actually this has nothing to do with what I'm doing in this in this space. This is a new thing and so I've got a personal email address for that. and a lot of especially teachers, I mean I even now I still get pop-up on my iPhone oh, your old education email address because that's what I used when i started you know when i began my first account so that's you know that's like the the last image of my old career but um so i definitely do that the other thing is uh, a lot of people i talk to don't actually know what their financial situation is so they don't know how much they need to live off or what the bottom line is for them so when Mm. i say to them like you're on one hundred twenty thousand or whatever could you live off 60 or 45 or whatever it is, you know, and they go, oh, I don't know. And i went, like, well, there's some homework. Go home and work out actually what it costs you to live per month or per year yeah. so that you know what leeway you have if you do decide to go and retrain or if you do decide just to, to you know, um, maybe go part-time, what could you actually live off? Um, and the other thing is, uh, so apart, so we've got email, financial, and then I think just really um, starting to think about what is it that you do want, like what would you like your life to look like? So uh, for me, for instance, I love going swimming and I live mm-hmm. in Melbourne and Melbourne faces Antarctica. Also, <laughs> it's, it's, we're not anywhere near the beach. So yeah. For me to get to a beach is like a, an, at least, a, I don't know, an hour at least. I want to live where I can walk to the beach in three minutes. So my, one of my goals is to move somewhere on the coast where I can um, walk to the beach and have a swim every day or at least yeah. have a swim every day in the summer. And I also like to light fires, like not in a bad way, but just yeah. <laughs> I like to a fireplace with a fire in the winter. And I, yep. we have one here and we cook on top of it sometimes as well, like make a soup or something. Uh, so I like to have a, a good winter that's cold enough to be able to snuggle up in front of the fire. So they're the kinds of things that I want from my life. It might sound a bit boring and simple, but that's what I like. Yep. I like to travel, but I also like to come home after about three weeks. So I want to have somewhere nice to come home to. So they're my priorities. Um, Unfortunately, my husband likes more humidity than I do and so we're still negotiating about where exactly that beach will be. (laughs) But at this point in time, that's my goal, is to eventually not be living in Melbourne anymore. But, you know, um, other people have other goals. I talk to lots of people who want to travel. Uh, Some people would like to just, like, not have a home as such, like have a mobile home and yep. travel around Australia or travel overseas and just, you know, live out of a suitcase. It really depends. But um, I think it's important to start thinking about what would you like your life to look like in five or 10 years time? And yep. and what, what maybe like I, I've talked to someone recently who said, you know, when I was a kid, I really wanted to travel and my parents wouldn't allow me to do that. And so, now I'm, you know, sort of heading towards retirement, I'd love to be able to do some of the things I didn't have the opportunity to do when I was younger for whatever reason. And mm-hmm. so, okay, make a list. Like what is it that you yeah. really want to do? Yeah, so that's, that's where I start,
1: I think. We we used to, uh, actually thinking about that, I'd, Erics and I would sit down with butcher's paper once a year and just write out, we dream actually, and just just freeload dream about what we thought, you know, a future might look like and, and then we'd go, you know, then we'd work out how practical it was for all those sorts of things. But um, dreaming is not a bad way to start sometimes, you know, just just going if, if there were no restrictions in life, what would you really, really like to do? And, yeah, anyway, that's what I've found works for us anyway. We used to write down also things like, what do we want to do on weekends? Because we are a bit of workaholics so it's and we don't have children, so it's been easy for us to get caught up in the um, let's just work thing yeah. and then all of a sudden, you know, a year disappears and you go, did we actually do anything other than work this yeah, year? So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, yeah, so and but it's like I think there's some really good tips in there for, for starting a journey. One I really like was actually taking your stuff out bit by bit because psychologically I can imagine that's just it's stepping you towards that end goal of not having any attachment at all there. Uh, and if you're, you know, thinking about starting your own business, even going the part-time route for a little while and, and yes, working out the financials, um, particularly if you've got an innovative business idea you want to start, Just going cold turkey can be a little bit way too much stress, stress and and challenging. So, if you can do it at a slower pace and build up, is is always a good way of doing it too, in my experience anyway.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I often talk to um, most of my clients are women. Uh, I often talk to women who are the sole breadwinner, or they're Mm. a single parent, or they're single and they don't have a, a family, and so. That is really stressful to think uh, I'm it. You know, I'm the only one. I'm responsible for myself and for my family, if I have one, and I need to make sure that this is still going to be sustainable while I work on my exit strategy. So sometimes people actually do go and do relief teaching, or or they'll they'll go part time so that they can uh, sort of segue out of the their role. But look. I would always say to people, like you said, that dreaming is really important and make those dreams with no buts. Like, you know, don't hold back on that vision for the future because even if you don't ever get quite there, you'll get a whole heap further than you would if you just stuck with the, oh, but I can't do it because, you know, I've got no money, I've got a house, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. All the things that hold us back that um, they're the things that stop people from actually achieving their best life and and really getting to be their best, per- you know, the best person they can be, their best possible self. So I try to hold people to a higher possibility and not make excuses for them. When they're telling me all the things that they can't do, I go, well, hang on a minute, you know, that per- let's think about it from a point in the future where maybe you have achieved that. What would you say to current you, From the future, what would future you say to current you, and see you know where that takes them? Because sometimes that's a helpful way of encouraging them to think, you know, to to be sort of future thinking. Um, Yeah, yeah, that's actually really good advice because rather than looking
1: at the restricted you, look at what the possibilities could be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
0: and I often find too with with goal setting, people say, oh, you know. I want to be, you know, financially free by 2025 or whatever, whereas maybe it's better that's like an outcome goal, maybe it's better to have a process goal. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to save $200 a month uh, every month and see see how I go with that, you know, so sort of shift it up so that you don't get bogged down in if you don't get to the outcome that you really want but you're still making steps along the way.
1: Yeah, I, uh, it's it's the steps, the journeys. It's not the the end goal, of course, is important. You've got to know where you want to go to, but uh, if you just look at that every day, it's just going to go. Oh, how am I going to do that? To, so breaking it down is so important, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, you know, I'm always fascinated by the personal motivation for. So for you, for example, uh, what was your personal motivation for embarking on this journey?
0: So I worked as a teacher. So I came quite late to teaching. I was 42 when I started uh, and we already had a family. So my kids were all at school when I started teaching and I I loved it. I gave it everything I had. I was only working part-time to start with uh, and I had uh, eight, eight grades of prep, teaching, performing and visual arts. So it was right. a bit like Groundhog Day that first year. <laughs> just was, I, I was on repeat. Um, and I just I loved it. And I every every Christmas holiday we'd be away somewhere on holidays and I'd say, oh, let's look in the bookshop. There might be some good resources. Or let's look in the toy <laughs> shop. I might be able to find a puzzle that I can take back to school. So I was really right into it. But over time I think what happened for me was the expectations of the role started to shift. And things that I did out of generosity and because I love doing it became expected. So they were no longer, I wasn't able to be generous anymore. They they sort of took that away. So um, I've been reading Brene Brown's book, Rising Strong, which I highly recommend. Right. And she talks about living a big life of boundary, integrity, and generosity. And I didn't know what was happening at the time, but now in hindsight, having read that, I can see that, I wasn't setting enough boundaries and holding them with integrity or at least I wasn't being allowed to. So the things that I did out of generosity suddenly became the expectation and Mm. weren't fun anymore, right? That just was part of the grind. And so that was part of it for me. And eventually I got to the point where I just would wake up in the morning and not want to put my feet on the ground. And when I got to the point where on the last day of school for the year, at the start of the summer holidays, I was already dreading the first day back six weeks later. Yeah, not good. Oh, yeah. You know, and it's not good to, I, I personally felt that it wasn't good to show up in front of a classroom full of kids, where are bright eyed and bushy tailed, and I'm mm-hmm. already feeling like I just don't want to be there on the first day. I just didn't, it I just didn't sit well with me to, to show up like that. And so yeah. I thought it was better to work out a way to get out. So that's how it, why I started doing the Masters. Um, and then from that we did a bit of coaching in there and I loved it. And so then I did the um, the, the coaching qualification uh, and then I started, you know, sort of I already had a business from before, but I've kind of ramped it up again and started doing coaching.
1: Okay. Oh, no, that, that's it's really cool. It's always interesting to, to listen to a, a personal story, but um and uh, and it makes so much sense. You know, a friend of ours is a is a teacher, and and she actually teaches only special needs children. And um, she's just decided to retire. She retired early. The stress and strain of it was just got too much. And. Which is such a shame because it's one, it's a resource that I know was really needed. And um but I remember being with her similar things. She'd you'd go out with her and then she'd be bolting in somewhere just to see if she could find something to help her with her kids. Yeah. So yeah. And I remember I've seen her garage. It's appalling. It's like the stuff's still absolutely everywhere. All the, as you say, all the resources that you that you need. So
0: yeah, Facebook yeah. Marketplace is your friend. I just put all of my stuff up on Facebook Marketplace and I had this lovely new graduate teacher come over one day and she said, oh, I'd love to take this and this and this. And I said, do you have a filing cabinet? And she said, no. And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I gave her my filing cabinet. I had a little chest of drawers like that matched the filing cabinet. I gave her that. And so I gave her my printer I'm like I can live without all this stuff. If I really need to print, I'll go to office work. So I just got rid of it all in one day. Her poor little Yaris was chock a block full of all my stuff. <laughs> I just thought if I don't do this now, I'm gonna always feel this this pull to go back, and 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 this kind of um, I don't know, like a, almost like a like a ball and chain, you know, that that was yeah. holding me back from creating a new. So I've I've emptied out my studio space and I now have this lovely spacious, light, airy room that I work in and I've created a space for my clients too. So when they look at what they, in my background, I've got plants and pictures on the wall and it's a really lovely sort of um, open, creative space where we get to co-create that future and it's calming and I feel calm when I walk in and I can tidy it up in about three minutes flat. So it's yeah. great, you know, because before I had so much stuff in here, I just couldn't manage it, you know. It was always in a big mess because there was just so much stuff. So yeah. I'm on a mission to declutter as well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think
1: so many people can learn when you when you're reinventing yourself, again, it doesn't matter what industry, when you've got to step into your own space and if you've been in an office, any work environment that's structured and you know where everything is, um, I think so many people think that they can just go and work from home. They've got this great idea, and off they go and, and set it up. You, you do. Well, I've never really seen anyone work that successfully by putting um, a desk in the corner of the lounge room. And for example, I, you know, I've seen it, but doesn't really take too long before they're getting office space. And so setting up somewhere where you can know that's yours you're not interrupted by family you know and the normal things that go on in a household is is pretty important to to get that sorted so that's right um, well
0: I did actually hire a studio space when I first left Uh, but it was freezing it was like a warehouse and so I'd be sitting there in the winter with my Ugg boots on and a scarf around my neck and then in the summer I'd be like you know stripping off and I just thought you know what I've got an air conditioner in my studio yeah and and it's you know obviously it's also cheaper to to work here yeah and if there really is an emergency I can go and help. But I, they're pretty good now. They're trained now to not interrupt me. In fact, my daughter said, because I'm about to launch the Get Out of Teaching podcast, she said she might get me an on-air sign to put out the front of it so that everyone knows <laughs> not to interrupt.
1: That,
0: that's actually a
1: good idea. <laughs> that's not a bad idea at all. Hey, look, thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us. I, I, um, it's always interesting the, the idea of. You know, a lot of people get innovation confused and, you know, innovation doesn't, as I said early on, it's not about uh, finding something that's never, ever been done before. It's innovating your sector, doing something differently and, and in fact, often, again, as I said earlier, the familiar is easier to market as well. So if you go, and I've been down this road, let me tell you where you've got something that's so obscure Um, that you know is a really, really good idea, and it may well be, but innovation is only when someone starts buying it and they totally get into it. So, um, But you've got to start with baby steps and and get your idea and first separate yourself, get get out of the the whatever industry you are doing now, and there's some really good tips that you've shared there, so thank thank you you so much. Um, So how can people find out a bit more about what you do if they're either teachers or maybe they want to engage you and they're not teachers and sure. are happy you know talk to you
0: yeah so if the if people want a career transition from whichever industry um, probably the easiest way to find me is to go to my website which is www.larksong.com.au, dot uh, au or they could go to the get out of teaching Facebook group and ask to join uh or um i'm on linkedin as well just elizabeth on linkedin so there's a a few ways to find me um i just want oh i just had a a fleeting thought but it's gone so it's okay it's fine (laughs) (laughs) maybe it'll come back but
1: i'll i'll put all those links anyway underneath this wherever they get their podcasts and they'll be able to link in to you and and reach out to if they want to know more but um, it was. And it's always interesting to chat to people, particularly as I we connected on LinkedIn, and mm. so I've been seeing some of your posts, and it, it fascinated me
0: what you were doing. So thank you so much, very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And I did remember what it was. Someone, ah, go. Someone said to me. Um, you know, it's really weird what you're doing because most people try to get people into doing something, but you're actually <laughs> helping people get out of something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I never thought about it like that. But actually, <laughs> I kind of am helping them get into a life that makes their heart sing. And so yep. I like to think of it in that way.
1: Well done, you. That's a really nice positive thing to to, to do in life, you know, that positive stuff stuff rather than the, you know, the, the negative, which is what we're most businesses and ours included in many ways is trying to get people out of trouble you know when they they decide they need to innovate a lot of people come to us because they they realize they need to innovate and and consequently it's more of a panic scenario so i love the idea of it being a positive story yeah thank you